This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA community media organisation, Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community. Taking a look at the issues surrounding the health and well-being of our LGBTIQ plus communities. This is Well, 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 brought to you by the team from Thorn Harbour Health on Joy and the Community Radio Network. Here on Well, 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 we delve into the issues impacting and surrounding the health and well-being of our gender, sex and sexually diverse communities. I'm your host, Jacqueline Jannon, uh, coming to you from Joy's Victorian Pride Centre on Boon Run Country. But not for long, uh, Michael and Jacinta will be with you in just a moment, uh, speaking about Hugh, Colour the Conversation, which is an anti-oppression and anti-racism training and consulting group. Hugh works to empower people and organisations with practical skills to challenge the root causes of racism and oppression. Uh, this episode will be joined by Elsa Tewitt-Rosenberg, uh, the co-founder and director of Hugh. That's coming up this episode on Well, Well, Well. You're getting well, well, well with the team from Thorn Harbour Health. Hugh Colour the Conversation is an anti-oppression and anti-racism training and consulting group and they work to empower people and organisations with practical skills to challenge the root causes of racism and oppression. Elsa Tuert-Rosenberg is a co-founder and director of Hugh and joins us now in the studio. Welcome, Elsa. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for being with us. Would you like to introduce yourself and tell us about how you're involved at Hugh Colour the Conversation? Yeah, sure. So my name's Elsa. My pronouns are she and they. Uh, I'm one of the co-founders and directors of Hugh. Uh, I'm a facilitator, a performer, an organiser and um, yeah, got involved with, well, launched Hugh a couple of years ago with my co-founder, Sonia. Um, and then, yeah, a lot of the stuff that we or that I do with the organisation is I, a lot of facilitation of our workshops some consulting stuff and uh, lots of working with the community. And how did Hugh, how did Hugh kind of start? You said it kind of launched a few years ago. Was it the result of a, a project that was kind of developed and launched through COVID lockdowns or how did it kind of come to into fruition, I guess? Yeah, so myself and Sonia actually met at an organisation called Democracy in Colour, uh, which are an amazing people of colour-led uh, racial and economic justice organisation. They do a lot of campaigning and organising. Both of us were volunteering there. Sonia was the Director of Community Organising, and I actually launched the training and education program there. Uh, but, yeah, that was a couple, more than a couple of years ago now. It was like three years ago now. Gosh, that time really flies. Um, but both Sonia and I, outside of Democracy in Colour, have a background uh, a background in working at organisations, uh, most of which are racist. Um, I would be more specific around what kinds of organisations, but I think basically for anyone who has ever worked at a workplace, you will probably find that that workplace is racist in some way. Uh, and so both of us were working in the kind of social change space, which I think for many of us who have marginalised experiences, we kind of expect that those spaces are going to be safe havens for us or that we are finally going to be in a place where we are understood or that's values aligned. Uh, and unfortunately, many of us have a bit of a rude awakening when we get there and we find that a lot of the harmful systems that we see around us every day are replicated even in those organisations. So 
For us, the creation of Hue was born out of those experiences and sort of thinking about, okay, well, if this is even what the social change sector looks like, what do we want the social change sector to know and understand about the experiences of people of colour and about systemic racism to actually start changing the ways that they do things, changing their attitude, changing their strategy, their processes, their ways of working, their policies. And it was from the desire, I guess, to be able to feel safe in a workplace that we ended up creating Hue and launching our training program. As I said, it started under Democracy in Colour, but pretty quickly, you know, when we started this program, uh, there was the peak of the media coverage of the Black Lives Matter movement, uh, which motivated a lot of people who hadn't thought about racism before to start tackling it. And we just started seeing a huge amount of need and demand for education around racism. And really quickly, you know, we had a pretty humble dream, I would say, which would be to pay ourselves for this work, recognise that this is uh, meaningful and genuine work, not just work that people of colour should have to do on top of the work that they already do in their job descriptions at their current job, which is what many marginalised people experience. And, uh, you know, not only were we able to do that, but when we launched Hue, we ended up creating a team of six people of colour to do this work. So, yeah, that's a bit where we came from. And this is a really massive question, but what kind of impacts does racism have on people's health and wellbeing? Do you see any patterns in the discussions and the stories that are shared in the Hue sessions? Oh, yeah, absolutely. But, I mean, I think that racism impacts everybody. Um, It impacts people of colour, it impacts white people. It disproportionately, of course, impacts First Nations people and people of colour as a result of colonisation. But the impacts of racism really seep into all of our psyches, you know. Um, Something I like to say is even, you know, for people who are, you know, not people of colour but that have curly hair, for example, and who maybe have that experience of wanting to straighten their hair or being told in a workplace that it's more professional to have straight hair, congratulations, you've experienced a, a a taste of anti-blackness, right? Because that's where that kind of discrimination comes from. Um, And ultimately, all of us are impacted by uh, by racism and colonialism when we think about how our climate is changing. You know, that is a direct result of colonialism. When we think about grind and hustle culture and how burnt out everyone is, that's a product of capitalism and colonialism, which is on this land rooted in racism. Uh, so, yeah, there's really no one who goes unscathed by these really harmful systems, which, um, you know, is why we are so invested invested in our kind of collective liberation from these racist systems too because unfortunately it's not just the impact of uh you know being at the receiving end of a slur or discrimination or bullying as a result of racism although those experiences are really true and real um it's just something that ultimately really impacts all of us and requires all of our investment as a result of that yeah um also, Hughes' website says that the usual approach of, you know, check the box, diversity and inclusion training is ineffective and pursues professionalism and politeness rather than actually building real change. 
How does Hugh's approach to training support a different understanding of anti-racism and anti-oppression? So I think ours is different because we focus on the systems that are at play. Uh, Yeah, many diversity and inclusion programs that have been run for a long time are run by white people, with people without actual lived experience of racism. And, yeah, it's much more about what you can and can't say rather than actually looking at the systemic issues and injustices, looking at critical thinking skills and reflection. And I think that's where our work workshops really differ because uh, also we we don't do a presentation you know it's not like we have a powerpoint and we just give you a lecture about the information we generally work with whole teams we bring them in we ask them questions about what their understandings of racism are and then we build on those learnings through facilitated conversations so these workshops are really highly participatory they're really engaging which means that the learning actually sticks with you also because you're developing those understandings with your team and your peers and you're learning from the people around you that learning is actually going to be more robust it's going to stick in your brain for longer and you know that you actually have some of these shared understandings with your colleagues and the people who are actually going to be able to hold you accountable to the things that you're learning or to be able to reflect on future actions or behavior and go oh okay how does this tie in how does this policy i've just come across you know relate to that thing that we learned in the workshop I think we're also different because we don't shy away from tough conversations. I think that often when conversations are had about diversity and inclusion, there are a lot of buzzwords that get thrown around. I don't know if any of you have ever been in a meeting where sometimes I end up in meetings with other organisations and I just don't even know what anyone is saying. It's just like platitude after platitude after buzzword after buzzword. And, you know, there's no real tangible movement. People are dancing around the things that really need to be said. Uh, and for us, we we don't do that, you know. It's and it's not about putting people offside. And obviously, we're really mindful to to hold people's feelings and not let people just slip too much into defensiveness. Um, you know, I think we do it in a in a in a gentle way, but we're also honest. You know, it's just about saying things how they are and and speaking truth to power in a lot of cases and um yeah bringing everyone along on a journey where we can all understand our history and our present and all the context that is is wrapped up in these racist systems together yeah powerful work that you're doing Mm. it's it's really fantastic to hear um yeah absolutely someone addressing the issues head on rather than like you said dancing around things because I think even in the sectors that we're in where we're trying to make change and we're working with community and for us it's you know about lived experience as well and peer-to-peer work but yeah to be able to actually have those uncomfortable conversations is really important to get things happening and yeah hats off to you and the team at Hugh because the I've attended that training and it's it's so um incredibly moving and actually useful <laughs> oh thank yeah. you I'm humbled that you've come along <laughs> yeah uh, we'll be back with Elsa in just a moment uh stick with us on well 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 Sexual health, mental health, and the overall well-being of our LGBTIQ communities. You're listening to Well, Well, Well. You're with Michael and Jacinta on Well, Well, Well. We're continuing our conversation with Elsa from Hugh Colour, the conversation, which is an anti-oppression and anti-racism training consultant group. 
Elsa, we wanted to pick up the conversation about um, First Nations people and people of colour have the pressure to educate and create change in organisations and workplaces, alluding to what you were saying before, often in an unpaid and unsupported capacity, particularly when those people are the minority within their organisation. They might be wearing multiple hats. What impact does this have on these individuals? Oh my gosh, it's so exhausting. Um, I think it's, aside from just being so, so, so tiring, I think it also really can eat away at your at your boundaries and at your your self-worth in a way because I think for a lot of people in this position you know you sort of feel like it's your obligation or your responsibility or you're not being a good enough community member or you're not taking enough action if you don't kind of sacrifice yourself in your workplace to make that kind of change and even though you know it can be I I really recognize the noble intentions of of many First Nations people and people of color who are who are doing that and and recognize that for many of us we don't even have a choice you know we get put in the organization and we're tokenized from the second that we get we get there and that our worth is kind of pinned to the amount of extra labor we do around anti-racism work or whatever justice work is related to your lived experience um you know i really recognize that um but also for many of us we just end up crossing our own boundaries over and over and over again we get extra pieces of work added to our workload that our white peers don't get added to their workload uh, and often we don't get paid for that extra time for that extra piece of work for that knowledge and expertise as well you know often organizations don't recognize that community knowledge and lived experience is a legitimate form of knowledge and and expertise you know we have a culture that's so obsessed with objectivity and you know researching things and keeping things at arm's length and we believe that people are somehow more of an authority to speak on something that they've researched rather than something that they've experienced. Um, but, you know, for people of colour, so many of us draw our knowledge from that lived experience. And not only is it a an amazing form of knowledge and expertise, but it's also our trauma, you know. And when you are drawing on that knowledge base uh, every day for work that you didn't necessarily sign up for and that you're not getting paid for. I mean, I guess you can only imagine how frustrating frustrating and exhausting that must be after, after a long period of time, especially. Mm. And who offers people of colour only sessions as part of the work that you do? Obviously, all of that is something that I assume is discussed in those kinds of sessions, but are there any kind of key benefits that you get from having that separate person of color only space? Totally. Well, I think the thing is, is that even as people of color, all of us have different levels of knowledge and levels of access to information about systemic racism and how those systems have impacted our lives. Uh, I think it's important not to assume that just by virtue of having that identity, you have had access to that kind of learning or information. Um, But for us, you know, we might digest those things in different ways. So for example, in one of our programs that's specifically for people of colour, we talk about internalised racism. You know, what does it look like to internalise these ideas, these systems and these beliefs and how does that shape how 
how we navigate the world, how we present ourselves, what kind of personality we show people, how we might code switch or interact in an, in our organization versus with our friends or uh, our families. Um, and then we also talk about lots of ways that we can resist racism that don't uh, hurt and harm ourselves essentially. So looking at things like boundaries, looking at rest, looking at joy, looking at healing, all these really important liberatory practices that that often get pushed to the side and uh, particularly for people of colour. So yeah, I think it's really important for organisations to not only be looking at how they can enlighten their white staff about racism, uh, but to also look at what supportive strategies they have for the people of colour on their team as well. Yeah. Thinking about um, organisations doing work and projects and, and stuff outside of, you know, developing that cultural safety at a, at a work worker level, um, does Hugh offer consultation as well? And if so, what does that look like and what does that involve? Yeah, absolutely, we do. And it, it looks like a whole bunch of different things. Uh, you know, it can be from looking at culture audits of your organisation, seeing what the experiences are of different staff who have different lived experiences and how uh, they might give you an insight or picture into the structures or harmful culture that exists in your organization. We do consulting on things like comms and marketing strategies to make sure that they're not falling into kind of racist or harmful problematic tropes. Uh, but, you know, I also have had someone get in touch who says, hey, I, I'm a white person and I'm an, in a relationship with a person of colour. I would really like some individual support and coaching on how to be a better support for my partner. Uh, or I had someone who is uh, writing a book, actually, and the character is a Chinese and Jewish person. And they reached out to us and said, you know, do you have someone with this lived experience on the team who can... Uh, you know, inform the book that I'm writing, which was a really fun project to be a part of. So I think consulting can look like a whole range of things. There's, you know, the the more kind of organizational process side. And then there's also just how we relate to each other in in the world side, which I think is equally as as valuable and important. Yeah. And particularly those kinds of things important to just speaking on behalf of our organization, the, mm -hmm. the work that we do when we're thinking about running campaigns that support the health and well-being of, you know, people from different backgrounds and experiences, making sure that when we're centering, say, you know, a Vietnamese Australian person in a using photography in a campaign, making sure that we're doing it authentically and we're showcasing that person's cultural identity respectfully and not imparting our own whiteness onto that person's experience. I think that's mm. really important kinds of work that I think could probably be done uh, in, in that space. Diverting um, slightly, if there's a serious incident of, you know, racism in a workplace or movement, what can be done to address this in the wider organization? And I guess that is also relevant to, for instance, when you're running a workshop, if there's, you know, words used in a session when people are sharing their own experience that are harmful or impactful, how do you, how do you respond to that or, or navigate that space? So I think that challenging an example of racism when it comes up actually starts way before that instance of racism happens. Mm. Uh, there are things that we can say in the moment. There are definitely ways that we can approach something that happens in the moment. You know, I often suggest uh, or the tips that I like to use around 
confronting or challenging someone is to be empathetic, relatable uh, and humble, you know, when we have those conversations. But ultimately it, it starts way before that moment, right? It's about uh, creating an environment and a culture that firstly signals to people that you are uh, dedicated to, you know, inclusive conversations and to having justice embedded in the work that you do. Uh, in a workplace environment, it's about maybe having policies that are supportive of staff if they experience discrimination. And it's about having training and education for uh for the people on your team so that they have knowledge in advance uh, of, of what kind of things might be harmful or, or how certain comments might tie into racist systems. Um, it's about creating a culture of feedback, right, where people feel confident and comfortable with challenging people on their behaviour because they know that it's going to be received warmly and, and with grace. Uh, so I, I think that you know, developing skills for conflict, developing trusting relationships, all those things are the real work that comes before that racist incident happens. That racist incident is the product of a bunch of harmful systems and omissions in, you know, relationship, community building, trust building, education, etc. Um, when it's in a workshop, uh, you know, we hope that we have set up the conditions where people know that they might be challenged on their behaviour um, and people are told at the beginning of the workshop or even before the workshop what the expectations are in the workshop, you know, not to use slurs, for example, or even not to repeat stories that that might trigger people or really impact other people in the space. Uh, but we also, you know, our facilitators are told that they can interrupt someone if they need to, they can end the conversation if they need to, and also recognising the safety of our facilitators too is they can also end a workshop if they need to. Uh, we tend to say, you know, if, if if the facilitator is feeling unsafe, other people are probably feeling unsafe as well. Uh, and we want to support our facilitators to check in with themselves and think about what their boundaries are as well. And if you're getting to a point where you're like, I don't want to have a conversation with this person, um, then they're well within their rights to end the workshop as well and, and keep themselves safe and protected in that situation. Um, we are steadfastly running out of time, but Elsa, I wanted to ask um, what advice um, maybe briefly you have for people of colour, First Nations people who are feeling isolated or unsupported in their workplace or movement? Oh, so many things. I mean, I think it first would be connecting with community as often and as much as you can. And if though and if those people aren't already accessible to you to, to start working towards finding them even if they're not in your workplace finding community has been a lifesaver for so many people of color I think who have felt really isolated otherwise um, but on top of that, I would say finding allies in your organisation, finding people that you can trust, that you can rely on, people who are willing to stick their neck out for you as well, who can advocate for things that otherwise might put you in a more precarious position or at least people who can back you or lend an ear or just some compassion and emotional space for you to vent if things are coming up. Uh, and finally, if, uh, you know, 
if you have the opportunity, like if it is possible for you, leave organisations that are asking too much of you. Uh, Often when we leave a situation, we can open ourselves up to opportunities uh, that will serve us far more and uh, you deserve so much more than to be in an organisation that is draining your life force, you know. Give 30 50% of yourself to your workplace, keep the rest to yourself, you know, maintain your peace uh, at at all costs where possible. Yeah, fantastic advice, I think, uh, and something that a lot of people out there are very much uh, in need of, of being able to access that kind of advice and to, to, yeah, know that support is out there and community is out there. Um, I guess... Thank you so much, Elsa, for joining us today. It's been incredible talking to you. We will have Hugh's contact details up with the podcast on the website um, so that if people want to get in touch with Hugh, maybe to book some sessions, all of those details are there. Um, Can people reach you on socials or anywhere else as well? Yeah, you can find us on Instagram at Colour the Conversation. Um, I think we're on LinkedIn, but don't bother finding us there. It's really boring there. (laughs) Find us on Instagram. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Elsa. We appreciate your time today. No worries. Thanks so much for having me. You're getting well, well, well with the team from Thorn Harbour Health. That is it for the show this week. Um, If you missed part of this episode, uh, you want to listen to uh, any of our other episodes, you can find them on the Joy website, joy.org.au slash well, well, well. And if you have any feedback or suggestions for topic discussions for us, uh, you can let us know uh, well, well, well at joy.org.au. But that is it for this episode. Thanks for joining us and we'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening to Well, 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 supported by Thorn Harbour Health on Joy and the Community Radio Network. For more LGBTIQ plus health and wellbeing and much more, check out Thorn Harbour on social media at Thorn Harbour or via the website thornharbour.org. Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Help keep Joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.